feel like we should have known this already Were we even taught this at all? Everybody and welcome to Will This Be On The Test. I'm Maddie. And I'm Austin, and a professional. <laughs> we've had so many technical difficulties. We've been going for literally three minutes and we've already messed up like five times. But we do have a guest host with us today, if you can hear him in the background. It's been a while. Hey, let me move in the mic. If you follow us on social media, you have already seen that our guest today is Fezzik. Uh, Fesic is here with us today because it is literally a heat index of 106 today, and we can't record in our normal podcast area because it is a billion degrees, so we are downstairs in our bedroom, and we didn't have the heart to move Fesic off the bed. <laughs> he's so comfy, and he's such a good boy. And he's such a good purrer. So, like, consider this, like, you know, part history podcast, part uh, cat purring ASMR yeah, remember early on, we had a lot of him and Draco, and I'm sure we'll hear Draco coming in later being like, hey, hey, through the door. So. There's, a, there's a door closed, and I will not allow that. Yeah. Um. So today is June 13th. We're recording this at the 11th hour because my whole life is at the 11th hour right now. And I've been awake for, what time is it? It's like 8 o'clock. I've been awake for 36 hours. Well, 35 hours. I slept for one hour at 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock this morning. And I'm feeling great, but I think Austin's afraid I'm going to die. <laughs> no, I'm just afraid you're going to start hallucinating again and stab again? me. And then stab me again. That wasn't me. That that was you. It was not me. Just because you were wearing a kind of warped uh, William Shatner mask doesn't mean it wasn't you. Um, I made a Halloween joke. Yes, I'm aware of that. Remember that time I chased the guy down the street by walking like Michael Myers while he ran away? <laughs> yes. That's 100% true, you guys. I think I said, I think I told the story before, but it is entirely possible to chase a criminal while walking as, at a Michael Myers pace. However, it will never be possible to catch Jamie Lee Curtis that way because she's a badass. Agreed. All right. So, um, I don't think there's a whole lot new to say this week. We watched the Tonys last night. Tomorrow's Flag Day. I didn't. I I always forget that Flag Day exists. Flag Day is not an officially national recognized holiday. Oh. The federal government does not recognize it. Yeah, I know that because it briefly gets mentioned in my topic today. Ooh. Yeah. Um. Honestly, guys, I was like really excited about my topic at first, and then I got farther into it. And I'm like, ah. Oh. It's one of those things where you're either really underdoing it or you're really overdoing it. And I am kind of going in the middle, and I don't know if it does it justice, but I think I'm hitting the major points at least. Okay. Um, I think I go first. You do, you do go first. Okay. Also, guys, I'm trying something new today. Usually I write this out as a narrative, and today I'm doing bullet points, which is what Austin usually does. So we'll see how I do. I mean, I used to do public speaking and I use note cards, but so we'll see. All right. So today I am talking about the Hearst family. Ooh, inventor of the hearse? Hearst. Oh, oh. They've come up a few times uh, for, for my episodes, such as the Stockholm Syndrome episode, the Newsies episode, the Sarah Jane Moore episode, which is just still to this day one of my favorites is the Sarah Jane Moore. I was talking to my grandpa about her just yesterday. 
Really? Does he have? Does he know who you're talking about? Uh, I actually don't think he did in that case. Okay. Um, I can't remember what year that was, and I don't think he was in the country at the time. Oh, okay. Wait, when was Gerald Ford president? In the seventies. Yeah, I don't think he would have been in the country at that time. Okay. Um. So they keep popping up every time I'm doing research at this point, and I figured let's just talk about these people and get it out of the way. Did you find your Pliny the Elder? Uh, well, I've got a few. P.T. Barnum shows up for me a lot too. Okay. Meanwhile, Houdini shows up very infrequently, which is weird. He is the master escapist, though. Yeah, he's just uh, he's just escaping from your research. Mm-hmm. All right, so we're going to talk about the Hursts as far back as it affects their their empire. There are Hursts before, obviously, that actually have kind of an interesting history, but there's not a lot on it. So we're going to start with George Hurst. Oh, there's Draco trying to get in. That's the bed moving, so you guys know what that noise is. Go away. <laughs> Rude. George Hurst was born September 3rd, 1820, near Sullivan, Missouri. Ooh. And then he heard there's gold in them there hills. And he actually did his research to make sure they weren't lying before <laughs> heading out to California for the gold rush. <laughs> Um, which I respect as a researcher myself, you don't just be like, I'm gonna go out to California and look for the gold. He was like, I feel like this is a lie. It actually wasn't, but he actually ended up not doing well in gold anyway. And he ended up switching to other types of mining like silver and quartz. He, and he ended up with one of the, he ended up with the largest private mining firm in the United States. Wow. Pretty quickly too. And it was not gold based during the gold rush. He handled everything else. I believe I read that he was like the first quartz miner or the first major quartz miner. And he like found new ways for us to mine quartz more effectively. We got some smart people here. And then uh, he was the California, he was a California state assemblyman from 1865 to 1866. He had an unsuccessful run for governor of California. He helped develop the anti-monopoly coalition. He does not mean the board game. He means the actual concept of monopolies. Uh, he doesn't al- feel as strongly about the board game as you do. It ruins friendships and tears apart families. Yeah, I've had to get rid of versions of Monopoly because it just triggers him when they're in the house. He can smell them. Golden Girls is not Monopoly. How no, dare you? No, it's Golden Girls Clue. We oh, oh, that's true. Okay, yeah, that's it fine. Was, um, we have other versions of Monopoly. Um, he became a senator in 1866 and he remained one until he died in 1891. Here's the part that matters, though, in terms of everything else I'm talking about. As you know, the Hursts are a media empire that is still around today. It all started with the San Francisco Examiner, which now that I think of it, I think it came up in that episode about the uh, Emperor Norton. Yeah. I'd have to double check, but I think that I was I believe him. it did. Um, he got the San Francisco Examiner. That was the first paper in the Hearst Empire. Do you have any guess about how he got it? You're not going to get it. Ooh, um, go gambling. Fun. Yeah. No! <laughs> yeah! <laughs> that was my wacky guess. <laughs> he got it not, it wasn't by gambling itself. It was to pay him back for a gambling debt. Oh. He got this newspaper that started an empire that is lasting through today because someone lost a bet. <laughs> and then there was his son, William Randolph Hearst Sr. It's weird that you would name your kid Sr. Yeah. (laughs) I think I'm funny. All right. So here's where you would really start hearing these names and most of the things. Um, But I want to make it clear that everything that comes from here on out is because of a gambling debt. I just think it is very important that we are all on the same page 
that this is what started all of this. So, William Randolph Hearst was born April 29th, 1863, the only child of George Hearst. He ultimately went to Harvard College, where he was part of the Hasty Pudding Theatricals, which is still around, <laughs> and the Lampoon, before being expelled. Oh. And when he left, he was like, oh, I guess I gotta do something. So he took over management of the San Francisco Examiner, as one does. Yes. And he hired several writers to work for him. Um, because, you know, it's a newspaper. They included such names as Mark Twain and Jack London. Oh, just little, little, un, well, unknown people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he wanted to run a nationwide multi-paper news monopoly. Well, I shouldn't say monopoly because his dad was against that, but that's what he wanted. That's how he was rebelling. It's um, like, screw you, dad. I'm going to start a monopoly. Um, honestly, that kind of continues with his kid. <laughs> no! Screw you, dad. I'm going to do things the opposite way. I'm trying to be funny and I'm undercutting you. (laughs) No, I actually kind of love it. Um, So he was like, he could see the way of running this multi-paper setup across the country, which we see today with our media corporations that run news stations all over the country and things like that. Viacom. Are they still around? Yeah. Huh. I figured you'd be like, Disney. Disney. (laughs) I love Disney. Um, But this, so he got the uh, New York Morning Journal. So he had the San Francisco Examiner, and now he has the New York Morning Journal. This led to a circulation battle with Joseph Pulitzer. And he was like, you know what, Pulitzer? I'm going to steal some of your staff. So he did. <laughs> um, and the reason he was able to get Pulitzer's staff so easily is that he paid really well, and he did not care what your socioeconomic background was. He treated you with respect. Note, I specifically said socioeconomic. Oh. Um, And he was the first newspaper runner to try to be on top of the news as it happened. Like, he sent reporters out to go find things as they were occurring and get the news out immediately. He was basically running the first ever 24-hour news cycle. But he was also running the first ever yellow journalism, which is fake news and clickbait. So when people tell you that that is new or exclusive to Russia, oh no, we largely invented it. Thanks, William Randolph Hearst Sr. Um, Well, Pulitzer was like, well, shit. So he started doing it too. And this all worked. They started building competing empires. And it's because people like sensationalism. Like, how many times have you clicked on something and gone, I know I shouldn't click on this, but that headline is fucking getting me. It's like, Miley Cyrus feud, yes. And then it ends up being an article about something completely unrelated, or it ends up being completely not true because Miley Cyrus has no feud with this person. Yeah. Um, Like, the made-up feud between Brandy and Maya back in the 90s. Well, that boy was mine. I know. Did you ever write them a letter about that? (sighs) No... Well, then how are they supposed to know the boy was yours? My lawyer was supposed to get in contact with them. It's complicated. 12-year-old, you had a lawyer to talk to Brandy and Maya about the boy being yours? Yeah, I'm in huge amounts of credit card debt. I was wondering where my paychecks were going. It's to it's to Brandy and Maya. Um, Please, you're just paying Brandy because of her role in the Cinderella movie. You're just so happy that it exists that you just uh, send her checks. No, no, no. That's uh, Jason Alexander. <laughs> It's true. You loved him in that. It's so good. <laughs> uh, sh- sh- so Hearst started doing so well in his competition against the New York world, which was Pulitzer's, that Pulitzer had to have the price so that he could make any kind of profit because he was charging two pennies Ooh. and he had to go down charging one. 
because Hearst was doing so well that he had to, you know, lower costs to keep up. And this actually turned into, remember when I did that episode about the American Shakespeare actor and the British Shakespeare actor causing that New York riot? Yeah. It was like that. They had their followers and they were like devout, but there was never a massive riot that broke out. (laughs) Other than on Newsies, obviously. Well, that was, yeah. Oh. And you're going to hear bed noises because guys, I can't stand still. Just like in Footloose. Yeah. Or in Newsies. (sighs) No, it's a line from Footloose. Oh. I think it's Footloose. The musical. I don't know if it's in the movie. That is Kevin Bacon in the movie. Yeah. And we've gotten Kevin Bacon. It only took us uh, like 150 episodes. We have to. No, we've talked about um, uh, Friday the 13th. He's come up before. Oh, we have. Okay, good. Good. I was worried we'd never mention Kevin Bacon. Well, you can only be six degrees away from him at any given time, so. He's right behind you. (laughs) Always. You look behind you. Somebody's eyes are watching. Somebody's eyes are seeing you come and go. And those eyes belong to Kevin Bacon. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure Kevin Bacon has also played a cop at some point. Yes, I'm sure he has. See, I'm making all these references to songs from Footloose, and since Austin wasn't in the pit orchestra for that, he doesn't remember any of them. uh, Apparently there's no violist in Footloose. How dare they? I feel like we could have made it work. There's a bass player. That was it. Footloose was the last full-length play I was in, guys. And, uh, okay, here's the real facts. We were standing on stage, and we're supposed to be pretending to talk, right? We're all standing around. We're actually talking because nobody can fucking hear you on that stage. And we are all standing in our little circles. We're going, is this the worst show you've ever been involved with? Yes, the show is really bad. I'm actually kind of embarrassed by it. And this is after we've done these years of like Les Mis and Jekyll and Hyde. And there's nothing wrong with Footloose. I actually really like Footloose. Oh, here go the motorcycles. Um, I really like Footloose. Our production. So, the Hursts. The Hursts. <laughs> um... So this rivalry actually ended up increasing sales for both of them for a while. And then there was the Spanish-American War, which was often called the Journal's War, because Hearst's paper in particular wanted everyone to hate Spain. I mean, they take naps in the middle of the day and tapas? That's just fancy snacking. Um, did you just insult tapas? See. But they come with fruity, fruity wine. Sen- sangria. <laughs> Which you can't drink, so. Yeah. Uh, and also, we have a bunch of fancy cheeses and meats waiting for us after this, and they're not nearly as fancy as tapas. Are you just jealous? Maybe. All right. So they use yellow journalism, which is what I talked about, the clickbait, the fake news, to sell papers against the Spanish. And Pulitzer, of course, is matching him step for step, but not always on the same side. He also included tons of misleading information about the Cuban Revolution that kind of, I guess, started the whole Spanish-American War. Because um, this, because the Spanish were taking over Cuba, question mark? That's kind it's, of what I oh, got. Well, okay, the Spanish-American War is interesting and, like, a lot of stuff happened. Basically, it's like the Cubans are being mistreated by Spain. And then it led to us going to war with Spain and mistreating the Filipinos. Uh, and yeah, do you want to know why any of that happened? Why? William Randolph Hearst. Hearst. And this has all become fully realized recently, that our primary sources were from a guy who hated Spain and was profiting off the war. There is a popular myth, there is nothing to back it up, in which he sent a journalist down there to Cuba and said, you keep doing the interviews and I'll keep the war going. Now, chances are he never actually said that, but it was in his best interest for the war to last. Until it wasn't. 
and he and Pulitzer both ultimately ended up losing so much money that they had to stop their rivalry. Wow. And kind of start working together to rebuild the newspaper industry as a whole. So there was a time where they actually didn't hate each other. And I actually don't think they ever hated each other. I think it was more like, I'm going to make more money. No, I'm going to make more money. I feel like it's kind of what Elon Musk and uh, Jeff Bezos are doing. But instead of newspapers, it's phallic rocket ships and phallic space cars. tourism. <laughs> phallic cars that crash themselves. It's like this new space race, but nobody wins. Yeah. Wait, no. Russia still wins. Yeah. Russia is still winning in all of this. So it is super important to know what yellow journalism is because we would typically consider his newspapers to be primary sources when we were researching the Spanish-American War. And also, I'm not talking a whole lot about the Spanish-American War because it never once came up in my history education and I can't talk about it intelligently. But apparently no one can because we got all our information from Hearst's newspapers, which have since been proven to be full of lies. So nobody knows what actually happened. Uh, except for in, like, the super secret government vault somewhere, I'm sure. Um, sorry, guys. This bullet point thing, I don't know if it's working out for me. All right, let's talk about how Hearst ran his papers. He was a populist. Whatever was working well at the time, making the most money, that was the side he chose. So he was, at, be at the beginning, aggressively left-wing. Now, I had a hard time kind of understanding what that meant in this case, because he does jump rope with it so many times. He's left ring, he's white ring, left, right, left, right, based on whatever's going to sell the most papers, kind of like how Donald Trump was friends with the Clintons and was a Democrat until it became more um, profitable. Profitable. And who's the other one? Candace Owens? Candace Owens. Yep. Who was a Democrat until it became uh, less profitable. Yeah. So at the same time, though, Hearst was actually one of the only newspapers to not only focus on one side at any given time. He effectively created the op-ed. He allowed opposing sides to be shown in the same newspaper next to each other. Oh. Um, pretty much the first paper to ever do that. He also wasn't afraid to change his mind on topics, which is not quite the same thing as being a populist. Because uh, he would stay on a certain side, but then be like, okay, guys, I've learned more about this topic, and my original opinion was wrong because. Which, frankly, I wish politicians would do that. Yeah. And he also was a politician. Um, he was against the League of Nations. And wanted us to be isolationists. He also ran, like, he owned the rights to most of the really famous cartoon comic strips of the time. So he founded the International Film Service so he could create animations of his cartoons and ensure he had the rights to all of them. But while doing this, he was the first to actually credit the director and the animators in addition to the comic book artist. Or the comic strip artist. Uh, he ultimately diversified beyond his 28 newspapers. He had 28 by the 1920s. Uh, and he added periodicals, which included Cosmopolitan, Good Housekeeping, and Harper's Bazaar. <laughs> In 1924, he opened the New York Daily Mirror, which was essentially the same thing as Pulitzer's Daily News, but porn. <laughs> they used the word racy. Oh my. It was uh, not exactly porn, but there was like that kind of stuff. There was also a lot more... Um, off-color humor, stuff like that. Later on, he was like, you know who we should talk to? That Hitler guy. We need to talk to that Hitler guy, figure out what the fuck is going over in Germany. So he went to visit Hitler himself to do this interview. And Hitler said to him, why am I so misunderstood in the American media? And his response was, because the Americans like democracy and not dictatorships. Oh! But 
he allowed Hitler, uh, I'm sure I'm pronouncing this wrong, Hermann Gorig, who was one of Hitler's like top people, and Mussolini to all write pieces for his papers with no op-ed setup. It was just their pieces with no opposing side. Ugh. Which doesn't necessarily mean that Hearst himself was like, yes, dictatorships. And I do think it's actually a good thing that he published these. I think it gave a unique perspective, like, that we otherwise would not have gotten. But maybe having something in there that was like, P.S. guys, um, maybe don't kill a bunch of people. Yeah. Genocide is bad. Genocide is bad. Hey, but why doesn't genocides come up, I think? <gasps> what did we talk about last week? Uh, Oops, all diseases was not genocide. Uh, that was a month ago. Uh, last time was Godzilla and... That related to genocide. Not genocide, just mass death. Focus on certain groups of people. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And then remember how I said he was polite people regardless of their socioeconomic status? He really loved the idea of those Japanese internment camps. Oh. And he hated the Chinese. Basically, if you were Asian, he was not on your side. Which is why I was kind of thinking, was the San Francisco Examiner the one that Emperor Norton was into? But that might have been after this time. Because, like I said, his son was like, uh, I'm going to rebel by doing the opposite of you. Uh, and then I got him some of those. He had a bunch of other investments, which is how he actually made his money. There's a good chance that his papers never actually made him money. <laughs> and he had a mistress that he was married this whole time. He had five kids with his wife. And then he had a mistress who was an actress. And there's a very good chance that he is the father of the actress Patricia Lake. Um... Which it seems like they both kind of confirmed before the mom died, but it was never officially confirmed. So yeah, don't don't cheat on your wives, guys, because, or at least wear a condom. Yeah. There were condoms back then. Go back and check my birth control episode. Yeah, they've been around for a long ass time. But you know what doesn't work? Alligator dung. Makes you more fertile. Remember that? I remember that. Uh, he is also part of why weed is not legal. In fact, he is pretty much the sole reason hemp was not legal to grow until 2018. I remember this from my D.A.R.E. episode. A little bit about that. Yeah, he had massive investments in paper mills. And even though hemp is lower cost, better made, he would not allow them to grow hemp at all because it would lower his investments. And this would directly correlate to why we couldn't grow cannabis because... We look at it and we both are like, okay, regardless of whether or not you want to smoke the ganja, you have to admit that the taxation on this is a good boost to the economy. Oh, yeah. Colorado's doing great. But at this, but this one dude was like, yeah, I want to make my money. And it's kind of like we go back to daylight savings time. The golf is like, I want to make my money. So we're going to screw up everybody's time and kill a bunch of people every year. Golf. No one should have to die for golf. Well, I can think of one person. <laughs> I'll tell you, lots of people died because of that golfer. Yeah. Uh, he also won two elections to Congress, but he failed to become mayor or governor of New York, which both of which he tried. He fought actively against the New Deal, which combined with a bunch of other surrounding stuff that he was doing, cost him millions of dollars. And the government stepped in and was like, you know what? Fuck you, Hearst. And he was forced to like liquidate part of his assets he was forced out of being the ceo and became just an employee at his own company <laughs> and he spent the rest of his life essentially selling off all of his like individual belongings oh my god wait oh yeah citizen kane is based on him yes right? it is okay good i was like i was wondering why this all sounded so familiar 
And it finally just clicked at the end there. Yeah, he uh, tried to save his reputation by becoming a philanthropist. And some of his organizations are, in fact, still around. All five of his sons entered the media, the same way, like, newspaper media. Um, and Citizen Kane is based on him. Ish. Yeah. It's loosely based. Yeah. I have never seen Citizen Kane. Oh, is it's... he the hero in that story or is he the villain? Yes. Okay. Okay. It's... And then I know Mank is about the making of Citizen Kane. All I know is Gary Oldman's in it. Yeah. That's... Uh, I think it, it's in black and white for some reason. Um, Isn't it? I think so. I mean, Citizen Kane's in black and white is it because... the one that has the red jacket? That's Schindler's List. Okay. I have seen Schindler's List. It's just been 20 years. Yeah. More than 20. How old am I? I went out to breakfast with a friend of mine yesterday, and she asked how old I am, because we just actually never established that, and I had to think about it. I'd forgotten how old I was. I actually almost said 39. <laughs> I'm 36. I'm like 95% certain. You're, you're 36. Right. Yeah, uh, I, I'm the only one who knows our ages and our anniversary. Yeah, what's my age again? Nobody likes you when you're 23. That was true. Uh, so he had five sons, like I mentioned. Um, George Randolph Hearst became the vice president of the Hearst Corporation. There's not much else to say about him. John Randolph Hearst, apparently a total asshole, and but he still would have been running things because he had the best business sense, but he died at 49 after, after having three different wives, all of whom hated him. <laughs> Did one of the wives kill him? No, he had a heart attack. That's what they say anyway. That's what they but say. But he was on vacation, so... Um, I think she did it, but I just can't prove it. Uh, there was Randolph Apperson Hearst. We've had George Randolph Hearst. John Randolph Hearst. Now we have Randolph Hearst. Oh, Fezzik wants out. All right, say goodbye to our special guest. Probably has to pee. You're the first and best guest we've had on the ah! <laughs> Our second guest just arrived! Our just charged in. Hi, Gigi. All great for an audio-only medium. Hey, oh, don't sit on her. I didn't sit on her. <laughs> she might purr for you in a bit, too. She's a very good girl. <laughs> That's what the G stands for. Yep. It sounds it stands for good girl and for jealousy, envy. She thinks we're spelled with G's and I's. She can't spell It's people. actually short for Marjorie Tyrell. <laughs> Do you know that, Gigi? She's got like a little uh, pattern on her face that looks like a smirk. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, that was back before, like, you know, Game of Thrones had the last episode that killed the entire series. That Marjorie Tyrell had nothing to do with that. It's true. Um, so we have Randolph Hearst now. Yep. He was ultimately chairman of the Hearst board, and he was the father of Patty Hearst from our um, Stockholm Syndrome episode. And I believe he's also the one who was in our Sarah Jane Moore episode, which is interesting because he's not actually the one in charge. <laughs> Yeah, he would have been the one from the Sarah Jane Moore episode because that all had to do with Patty Hearst. Guys, when you do... We've been doing this for almost three years now. Yeah. Wait, 19? 20? Yeah, almost three years. You start to forget. Um, so that's what you know him from. Uh, David, probably Randolph Hearst. It didn't have a middle name for him. He was Randolph's twin. There's literally nothing to say because he died. Uh, he didn't die that young, but he died and I guess he didn't ever get far enough up. But of course we have William Randolph Hearst Jr., who ironically won a Pulitzer Prize <laughs> for his interview of Nikita Khrushchev. Um, he was integral in repairing the business. Basically, he looked at everything his dad did and said, well, that sucked and fixed it. <laughs> um, and he was a member of the Sons of the American Revolution, which is one of the super patriotic groups to the point of excess, but not like the Proud Boys. Uh, 
We're recording this again right after the Proud Boys tried to storm a Pride Festival. 30 of them in the back of a U-Haul. Being forced then to kneel on the ground in front of the cops with their hands, like, handcuffed behind their backs. They ripped their masks off in front of the press like Scooby-Doo villains. And I'm like, you guys are getting just a taste of what you want for people of color. Just a taste. It was funny. They deserved more than that, honestly. Yeah. And then we're also recording this right after that group of proud boys stormed the fucking drag queen story time. Yeah. Come on, people. Um, but the Sons of the American Revolution is part of why Flag Day is around. That's huh. the tie-in right there. Um, they're just very into like, let's celebrate these holidays. Let's celebrate these holidays. Let's celebrate these holidays. Um, now, William Randolph Hearst III is the one currently in charge. That's the thing with the Hearst, um, the Hearst Corporation is it is very, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not incestuous. Nepotistic. Okay. Um, it is intended, and it is actually in writing, to be handed down to the oldest son. And to the oldest son of the oldest son. I don't know if that's the plan that William Randolph Hearst III has, but he is still running things. Um, and it was split up again between these guys' kids, who the ones who won in anyway. Um, which was not everybody as you might imagine, yeah. because people have different interests and different lives, but they're still all exorbitantly wealthy. So that is the history of the Hearst Corporation, Hearst, Hearst Organization, Hearst Monopoly, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> which is still very much around, very much in power. Wow, it's like, I always think of them in like the past tense. It's like golden mm-hmm. age, like... It's amazing of how yeah. many things we think of as in the past tense, which are still very, like spiritualism. Yeah. I listen to a ton of other podcasts where, like, back in the days of spiritualism, I'm like, so now? They're still around. They're still, they're still very much around. It's still a very valid religion that has actually never tried to turn into a cult or murder anyone. Yet. I mean, everybody does eventually. They're one of the few, though, that I can really think of that hasn't tried to start a war or anything like that. Um, I remember back in school learning about the days when the KKK existed. <laughs> Past yes. tense. Yes. I remember learning as an adult, not even, not an adult, but close to it, that they were still around. I'm like, it just blew my fucking mind. I remember like very, like very clearly in the seventh grade, like our civics teacher said, pointed out that this is like, okay, this book is referring to them in the past tense. They are still around. And then she like brought in the TV on this cart and showed us a tape thing from 60 minutes from like the year before. It's like, they still exist. They're around. Here's one of their rallies. (laughs) Yeah. So if you're a parent listening to this, Remember that what's in the textbooks may not always be accurate by no fault of the teachers. They're not the ones who wrote it. Yeah. So make sure your kids have that well-rounded education. Fill in the gaps where you need to. Um, And also because the teachers, I've been a while since I've talked about teachers in this way anyway. They could get in trouble for teaching things that are not expressly in the curriculum as we've seen. And that could include things like mentioning the fact that the KKK still exists or saying gay in Florida. So be cool. Fill in the gaps for them because they're doing their best. It's not their fault. (laughs) Most of the time. Some of them suck. Some of the time. Most and time. I'm a little worried about Ohio saying, let's let these teachers carry guns. Because I definitely had a few teachers who would have shot me. Oh, I'm like, I've been thinking back to like a bunch of like band directors. Oh who God, right? would absolutely have shot a flautist. And also we need to, this is an important factor to keep in mind with this. These are going to be considered government sanctioned school supplies, right? So they'll be given these guns. They won't have to go out and purchase them. Teachers don't have guns a lot of times because they can't afford them. Yeah, guns are expensive. So now we're going to have all these teachers with access to guns. And you guys, you know how much I love teachers. And my concern is not so much that they're going to shoot kids. It's that they're going to shoot themselves. The depression rate among teachers is incredibly high and they lie about it because they could lose their jobs. 
um, getting inpatient treatment is pretty much a guarantee of losing your job in that field. Um, same thing with nursing, from what I understand. You know, a healthcare industry. Yeah. And education, which focuses on mental health so much. You cannot have any kind of mental stress, let alone a mental disorder, as a teacher. So teachers would kill themselves a lot more often with easier access to means. Mm-hmm. And I know of at least one teacher who did have access to means and locked themselves in a classroom to do it. And luckily another teacher managed to break in and talked them out of it. There have been cases of teachers doing this in front of students. There have been... It's a hard job. And I'm really worried about the suicide rate skyrocketing. Yeah. And I also... I would have... I had this one teacher who would have put it in the hip holster and walked near kids she didn't like and tapped the hip holster. She never would have actually openly threatened me, me specifically, but she would have walked by and reminded me what she could do just by doing that. And so many teachers, consciously or otherwise, because they're people. Yeah, it's like, well, uh, back after Columbine, we hired uh, 10,000 new police officers, and not one school shooting has been stopped by police. Prevented. Prevented, yeah. Well, no, um, the one in Olathe East. Not evidence that that was actually going to be a school shooting. That is true. And the vice principal is the one that tackled him. Um... He had to tackle him because he started shooting the cop who's the one who took him, out, took him down. Yeah. Thus, that whole situation sucks. Yeah. No, there again, as always, no winners. Um, guys, the world sucks. The world, my world's on fire. How about yours? Mm-hmm. Um, I forgot to write questions about the Hursts. <laughs> so, uh, will the fact that all of them are named Randolph be on the test? No, because I'm pretty sure that's not true. Except for the girls, they're all named Randolph. Oh, I guess that is, I guess that is true. I thought um, you were trying to trick me. No, William Randolph Hearst, William Randolph Jr., Robert Randolph III, Randolph, George Randolph, John Randolph, David Randolph, probably. <laughs> um, yeah, Randolphs. Randolphs Randolph all the way everywhere. down. <laughs> and will the fact that he allowed dictators to have their say in his newspapers without writing any rebuttals be on the test? No. <laughs> and here's the big one. Will the fact that our main primary sources about the Spanish-American War are are fake, will that be on the test? No, it will not. It needs to be. It does. So, remember kids, facts and truth are not the same. And facts and lies are not the same, but some lies look like facts. It is your job to do some balanced and fair research on any topic you might be wanting to talk about, just like I clearly did when talking about teachers and how I'm afraid of them being armed. <laughs> the oh. end. Oh. Wow, that was a lot. We we were wild. Okay, are you ready for my topic? I don't know. I don't know what it is. Well, uh, I want to talk because things have kind of sucked globally for a while now. I want to uh, talk for like since 2016. Yeah. I want to talk about a major environmental victory. Our domination of the moon. You know, it's true. There is no global warming on the moon. They have zero problems with raised CO2 emissions. Didn't we find out that Mars is, like, toxic? Yeah, the, uh, the, the soil on Mars has a lot of chlorine in it. So we can swim in it. If there was water, that but would stay a liquid. Water. It's real That's cold. That's what blow dryers are for. <laughs> yes, we just need to send blow dryers to Mars. Get on that, Elon. Has anyone tried it yet? Like, I'm sure Elon, like, he's listening to our podcast right now. Yeah, hey Elon, what up? Sponsored by Elon Musk in North Korea. <laughs> I mean, okay, hot take. I feel like being sponsored by Elon Musk is more problematic <laughs> than being sponsored by North Korea. Um, 
I don't know, because I'm kind of afraid of South Korea coming after us, because I love South Korea, and it is, they are the future. It is literally and figuratively the future there. Is it literally the future? They're across the international dateline. Going in that direction? Yeah. Okay. It's tomorrow. Okay, right, so I was going to talk, uh, partly because things have been bad, and it's kind of good to remember that we can fix major, far-reaching problems and stand up to powerful corporations, lobbyists, and indifferent politicians. Unless they're members of the Hearst Company. Yeah. And it's also a reminder that things can take some time to fix. It can be easy to not really grasp that the things we learn about in a single lesson or even a single paragraph in school actually took years or decades to change. Uh, Not that you should stop demanding change because it takes a long time. You just need to not lose hope because of things taking time. Looking at you, educational system changing your setup every two years. Give it some time. I'm going to talk about DDT, or dichloro-diphenyl-trichlorothane. That is the pesticide. Yeah, it is a pesticide. It's a pesticide that causes major environmental problems to the, uh, and problems to human health that was once widely used, but was banned in the United States in 1972. Hey, farmer, farmer, put away the DDT now. Yeah. And you probably learned a little bit about this in school. I learned about it from Johnny Mitchell. Yeah. Uh, it's like, I remember like a little, one of those, again, it was one of those aside things where it wasn't even a part of it. It's like, there's this little chapter about the environmentalists. I've always read those, the little like different colored pages that were about women or minorities. It was about, uh, Rachel Carson's Silent Spring. Oh, a woman. Yeah. It was was about the effects of DDT and widespread chemical use and the effect that it was having on the environment and how it started the environmentalist movement and and paved the way for Captain Planet. I like your use of the word paved there. It seems ironic. Yeah. But you don't know the whole story from that. And this is one of those times where we can look back and see a similar story to what is happening now with global climate change. Okay. Uh, So DDT was first used as an insecticide by the Swiss chemist Paul Hermann Mueller uh, in 1939. And he actually got a Nobel Prize in chemistry for it because of its uses in killing mosquitoes and preventing malaria. And see, that's the thing, is we look at it and go, oh, DDT was evil, evil, and the people who made it must have been evil, evil. That's, you could, more than one thing can exist at a time. Yeah. And he deserved that Nobel Prize, I would imagine, anyway. Um, just like people who invented, you know, nuclear stuff deserved their Nobel Prizes. Yeah. Doesn't mean there weren't consequences. And um, it gained immediate widespread use in World War II as an insecticide to help prevent the spread of malaria and typhus in the South Pacific. Uh, which was like extra good timing for America because uh, before that we used something called pyrethrum, which was an insecticide derived from chrysanthemums, and it was largely manufactured in Japan. And um, things weren't great with America and Japan. At this no, time. I'm just thinking it has the word urethra in it. Pyrethrum. Oh, yeah. You said pyrethrum. Yeah. Uh, after uh, World War II, DDT was approved for use in the United States and had major agricultural use and was used in killing mosquitoes for the prevention of malaria all over America and also in Europe. Um, It actually did, this in part with other efforts, did largely eliminate malaria in the United States and Europe. Uh, But the thing is, we also knew at the time that it was not good for the environment and probably not good for human health. This wasn't a situation where we'd been using it for a while and we noticed something was wrong and we learned suddenly, oh no, it's bad. So we fixed it. We were already testing it on other countries. We already knew there were problems with it. Um, Scientists in the FDA were concerned that it would be a persistent toxin and accumulate in people's bodies. 
because they knew enough about chemistry to say, hey, this is something it's going to do. This could be a big problem. Uh, biologists were worried that it was an indiscriminate insecticide and would also kill beneficial bugs as well and could hurt bird and fish populations that depended on those insects. And they're also worried about pollinator populations being impacted by ins indiscriminate insecticide use. I'm just thinking about the indiscriminate insecticide I have right now. <laughs> Guys, our yard. Uh, please, that's an indiscriminate herbicide. It's very Oh, different. herbicide. Right, 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 right. And, you know, so we had our suspicions from the start, but proponents of DDD thought that any potential harm would be outweighed by eliminating malaria, which affects hundreds of thousands of people a year. Okay. And since it had, we'd seen success halting insect-borne disease in America and Europe, imagine what this could do to help people in the developing world. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you can probably guess where I'm going with this. Uh, while it had initial success in wealthy industrial countries with better access to medicine and funding to spray over large areas and eliminate entire populations of mosquitoes, it was less, develop less effective in uh, developing countries. Refer to our episode that covers first and third world countries. Uh, in some places, it actually made the problem worse as mosquitoes became resistant to the poison and uh, people developed less resistance to malaria and there was less anti-malarial drugs because they're spending all of their money on the spraying that wasn't working. Kind of what, like what's happening now with hand sanitizer. Yeah. Not all hand sanitizers, but... Yeah. It also proved to be nearly worthless in the tropics. Because of the humidity? Mosquitoes could breed there year-round as compared to most of America and Europe, where mosquitoes were more seasonal. Mm -hmm. It was actually discovered that a combination of anti-malarial medications and mosquito netting embedded with insecticides were a cheaper and like more effective solution than wide-scale pesticide use, but it was still promoted by the chemical lobbyists and these chemical companies as the future and the way to go forward, and they were marketing it as, as the perfect way to do this and selling it to our politicians and local governments and producing videos and ads and telling people you need to do this or else it's not safe. You need to demand this from your politicians. Yeah. Uh, don't trust anything that doesn't show both sides of an argument. Yeah. Except uh, for us. Always listen to us. And it was hugely popular. Like spraying in the United States was out of control. Like, roadsides, neighborhoods, schools, everywhere. Like, every crop sprayed with DDP. Even if there was not really a risk of insect use, just <laughs> spray it any of insect damage. Spray it anyway. It's like the Agent Orange before there was Agent Orange. Yeah. Okay, you can actually look up propaganda films from the 50s where they have people uh, eating at an outdoor cafe getting sprayed in a fog of DDT while enjoying their meal. Now, uh, actually... Uh, they, they said that DDT was odorless and tasteless, but it actually did have a pretty foul taste to it. And, like, you could, like, taste it. It was, like, you could, it was pretty nasty. You could smell it on your clothes. It got sprayed. It was not pleasant. But they said it was odorless and tasteless, even though it was not. Yeah. And uh, there was even, like, a Supreme Court case where a mix of fuel oil and DDT was sprayed over private property to combat combat fire ants on Long Island. Uh, they said, hey, you shouldn't be spraying this on our, on our property because it's fuel oil, which is not great for anything. Hey, my grandpa said we should use it to kill the weeds in our yard, and I, I trust anything that man says. 
Yeah, we probably should trust him, but this was... Yeah, but I'm not messing with DDT. Yeah. No, no, please. We're just going to be using gasoline. I mean, have you seen this Vinca you're dealing with? Vinca's the devil. All right. Uh, they actually, uh, the Supreme Court actually found in favor of the sprayers because it was a public health issue. Public health. But ruled that you could get an injunction to halt environmental damage. And this is the precedent that paved the way for a lot of future environmental cases. So, since we talked about the use and all of this stuff, what were the actual side effects of DDT? Well, first of all, we're going to talk about human health because they glossed over all of this <laughs> and just talked about what it did to animals. Yeah. Uh, it accumulates in the body. Mm-hmm. It has a probable leak to cancer, mm-hmm. especially breast cancer. Mm-hmm. It uh, is a light, It causes lasting neurological damage. Uh, it has been found and concentrated above safe levels in the breast milk of women exposed to DDT mm-hmm. and their children. And evidence indicates these levels are associated with infant neurological abnormalities. Mm-hmm. It also caused miscarriages. And it can stay in the bo- human body for six to ten years. They were spraying this at schools. They were spraying this over neighborhoods. They were spraying it on the street. Like, people would, like, they had actors standing in a fog of it as a truck drove by spraying it. What were they, were they actually spraying them with DDT for yeah. that, though? Wow. I figured they were spraying them with, like, water, because it would show up better anyway. Yeah. Guys, if you've not seen 1950s propaganda films, watch them. It is a trip. Yeah, so huge effects on the human body. And a lot of it was, like, fought against by these lobbyists. So they'd have their own studies come out saying, no, it's fine. Even though a majority and the consensus was, no, it's really not. Mm-hmm. And again, it's like, it's even still, there's so much mud in the water that it's hard to say anything conclusively because the studies have stopped. Um, well, I mean, at this point, don't we kind of just have to let it let it go? Where We can't yeah. go in and, like, you know, get a... Get a net and oh, scoop it out of the water. It's it's mostly gone. I'm, I'm going to talk about that more later. Uh, oh, you can step all over my stuff, but I can't step all over yours? That's true. That's true, but I've got an entire segment on that. It's coming up after I finish talking about the environmental effects. <sighs> he was so proud of, like, knowing stuff about mine, and I was, like, being all nice about it. Yeah, but DDT, it kind of, it breaks down over time, so it's so not... So is my spirit. Yeah. But, um, I'm, spoiler alert, it's still used. So am I. So uh, it, then, of course, we're going to talk about the environmental effects of a little bit, too. Because in addition to killing beneficial insects and impacting fish and bird populations, like the biologists said it would, um, it also impacted eggs of both birds and fish. Uh, rainbow trout populations were impacted by DDT levels in eggs, and that was correlated directly to the mortality rate of those eggs. And it famously impacted birds and their eggs, which is probably what you heard most about it. I didn't hear anything about this in school. Oh, yeah. Um, it especially... I learned about it from Joni Mitchell. Yeah. I was not kidding. Oh. It uh, especially impacted the eggs of birds of prey, waterfowl, and songbirds. Uh, DDT, DDT caused uh, thinner eggshells in several species of birds and drove them to near extinction. Uh, and accumulated more acutely in apex predators where it had the most effect. Because it accumulates over time, so... Like it accumulated in it, Regina George. Yes, the apex predator. The apex predator, full of DDT, like toxic levels. That's why bugs died around her. Gretchen Wieners got some of the runoff too. That's why her hair is so big. It's so full of DDT. <laughs> yeah, uh, most famously of these birds that almost drove to extinction were the bald eagle and the California condor. 
Uh, at their lowest populations, bald eagles had less than 400 breeding pairs in the United States. You know that uh, bald eagles tweet? They don't have an epic noise? Yeah. Yeah, they use uh, some sort of, some species it's of a hawk. Os- hawk. Yeah. And condors, those are really big, right? Huge. Okay. I don't know what sound they make. They, um, I don't either. Imagine it's something like... They've got like a wingspan about the size of our bed. See, this is why birds are terrifying. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, yeah, there were uh, 400 breeding, breeding pairs left in the continental United States. Now there's about half a million breeding pairs. And they are of least concern on uh, the endangered species yeah, list. Yeah, I was going to say, did we take them off the endangered species list? Yeah. Are, they, are they just threatened now or something? They're not even threatened. They are of least concern. We're not worried about bald eagles anymore, guys. I mean, I'm a little worried about them just because they've been acting weird lately. They're saying really strange things. I'm a little concerned about them. Yeah. We might want to get their school counselors involved. Yeah, I, I had some cousins who lived in Kodiak, Alaska, and they described the bald eagles there as being like very large pigeons that would leave parts of dead fish on your car. I still very much think Ben Franklin was right and the turkey should be our national bird. I would love it if the turkey was our national bird. I mean, it makes sense with our personalities and also... They're it delicious! Makes, it makes sense because obviously we would kill and eat our national bird ritualistically every year. Yeah. We aren't doing that with our national bird and it just doesn't make sense as Americans. Yeah. yeah. And of course, you know, compared to the bald eagle, the California condor was so much worse off. There were only dozens of them left. Uh, the surviving birds actually had to be captured and put into a captive breeding program. Wait, is this why you got onto this topic? Yes, this is. Are you going to cover that other topic? I've got half my, my research tapped up for that, so I'm going to okay. do it eventually. And, um, and they're all in a captive breeding program, and although their numbers are still dangerously low, uh, there are nearly 200 alive in the wild today. As of this time we're doing this, they just discovered that there is a living tortoise left that they thought was completely extinct. They've discovered one, which means there's got to be more somewhere because somebody had to birth her and it seems like she's not that old. Now, there are some studies that say DDT did not cause eggshell thinning and they actually linked it to the stress on these birds and habitat destruction, not pesticide use. And they said that bird populations were declining before DDT was widespread. But I still feel like that was our fault. Yeah. Lab tests and field tests have found repeated links, even if it wasn't the only factor in their decline. So there's actually a bunch of modern takes saying, you know, DDT was fine. We could have kept using these chemicals. That sounds but... like our neighbor who wants to kill all the coyotes because he's older than them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I threw him off. Yeah, uh, Rachel Carson was actually concerned about this. She even wrote about that in her book that said, like, there's listing all the other causes it could be, but then there's all this evidence that DDT was causing problems the entire time, and it was about they wrote about it a lot in her book Silent Spring, which this book was about the widespread environmental damage caused by indiscriminate pesticide use. Why is it called that? It's called that because uh, the title Silent Springs refers to a future in which all birds are dead and spring no longer has their calls. So there will not be a spring awakening. We no. will never have to put up with Leah Michelle. Oh no! If we had this just is the darkest timeline. <laughs> but we also wouldn't have Jonathan Groff. I'm willing to make that trade. I'm not. No, Jonathan Groff is worth three Leah Michelles. No, that's what I was saying. Is I want oh. to keep Jonathan Groff. I'm oh. willing to put up with that. Um, what I'm not willing to put up with is the fact that there's not a third season of Mindhunter. Dare they. Yeah. However, uh, this book also covers how chemical companies lied in their marketing about how safe their products were and how they lied to the government in order to sell their product. 
That was the other part of it. I only learned about the, it was about the environmental damage, not the other factors that were leading to its widespread use. All I learned is that they paved paradise and put up a parking lot. Uh, Silent Spring was a bestseller. Uh, it launched the American environmental movement and from some, to be something mainstream instead of just a fringe group. Uh, it is, Silent Spring is also considered one of the most important and influential nonfiction works of the 20th century. Let me guess, a brief history of time is above it. I don't think so. I mean, everybody bought it, just nobody read it. Yeah, but it's not, it's like, it's not as influential as Silent Spring. It's of the 20th century? Yeah. Do they have a list of these books? There was, but I didn't read much of it. See, I love nonfiction, and I'm still fucked up by Nickel and Dimed. Yeah. Um, I'm no longer fucked up by A Child Called It, which I'd imagine is also on that list, because more and more is coming out that raise some questions. I'm not saying he's lying because he is highly litigious. I'm saying that his siblings have a different memory of the situation. Yeah. So I, I have questions that need answered before I allow it to continue to affect my life. And um, after literally a decade of public pressure, uh, DDT was banned for use in the United States in 1972, and it was never a problem again. It was banned for use in the United States. Yeah. So well, we were using it elsewhere, weren't we? Yeah. You might have noticed how I said it only United States. And yeah, that's what I was just How saying. I was talking about these revisionists trying to downplay a well-documented environmental hazard. Mm-hmm. That's because it's still used in other parts of the world. By us. Mostly in Africa. By us. Uh, the WHO defends the use of DDT as a measure to prevent malaria. Do they have a specific set of guidelines? No. Really? They call it kryptonite for mosquitoes and their best weapon against malaria even though it's not. That's weird coming from them. Yeah. Uh, environmental groups in Africa call it toxic colonialism. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I know. I mean, I don't love the toxic colonialism, but I love they are calling it by what it is. So there is still effort go ongoing to completely ban the use of DDT. Uh, there was some more effort in 2006. There was an international treaty that was trying to limit the use of it further, even though it's still used in Africa. I'm still baffled by who saying, let's keep doing this. Yeah, me too. It doesn't track. It doesn't. Like, I've used them as a resource in a lot of my work, and everything they've said, like, about vaccines and everything, including the one, the stuff that you take to have malaria preventatives. Yes. Yeah. I don't believe a vaccine. It's been a while since I've researched it. There's an anti-malarial drug. Exactly. It's a, it's a parasite? Yeah. It's like, it all tracks. Like, why are they saying, like, but this one, like... Where are, they, where are they getting money from with this? That's all I can figure. Yeah. Come on, World Health Organization, get it together. I love you. So are you ready for questions? Oh. Are they about where that big yellow taxi is going? Uh, it's taking something away. Took my baby away. It's stealing babies? It took my man away, depending on the version okay. you go with. All right. Will toxic colonialism be on the test? No. Will the fantastic recovery of the bard, bald eagle from near extinction be on the test? Yeah, that makes us look good. Will the fact that Silent Spring was, was not just about the effects of DDT, but how chemical companies use marketing to deceive us and sell a dangerous product be on the test? Depends on who your teacher is. Where's Rachel What's-Her-Face now? Rachel Carson? I think she's dead. Okay, Google. Is Rachel Carson dead? Rachel Carson died on April 14th, 1964, and the place of death is Silver Spring, Maryland. 1964? Yeah, she wrote this book in 62, died in 64. Oh, okay. 
Yeah. I got confused on the timeline. Yeah. See, it seems like something like that would only happen after they've already done something about it because they wouldn't allow it to be published otherwise. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That was my thing on DDT. So, we can win sometimes. And it's important to keep fighting, even if things seem hopeless and awful. Unless you're a teacher, in which case, do not take the gun. No. Uh, uh, Leave the gun. Take the cannoli. Take the cannoli. Take the cannoli, Ohio. What if this is a big test? Like, they're, like, seeing if the teacher will take the gun to see whether or not this is a teacher they can safely feel, like, should be around their children. Um, this is Ohio, so I don't think they're going to do that. Like, why, oh, why, oh, why, oh, do we ever talk about Ohio? <laughs> I very rarely do, because it's one of the I-states. <laughs> yes, Ohio is an I-state that doesn't matter, as Maddie frequently refers to it. Okay, you have to understand, folks. My education was so split up, and there was no, like, natural progression when we were growing up. So I moved around, I learned the same things over and over. One of the things I never learned was the 50 states. So at the beginning of COVID, I washed my hands until I named all 50 states consistently. Um, now, I'm still not convinced Wisconsin exists, because that's the one <laughs> I always leave off. But I was always leaving I states off, and I considered Ohio one of them because of the hit I. <laughs> Look at the feet. There's a cat sticking its feet under the door because it's, they want to desperately be with us. It's Zumbi. Oh, it's Zoom Zoom. All right. Um, yeah, so I think that's, we've hit upon everything other than where people can find us. Well, they can find us on Twitter at OnTheTestPod, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash OnTheTestPod, on Instagram at OnTheTestPod, on TikTok at OnTheTestPod, and our website, OnTheTestPod.com. It's a work in progress. Um, and guys, if you've been kind of paying attention to our, my ghost story on TikTok, I have gotten into the closet. The most recent thing I have is me figuring out how to get into the closet. I have gotten partway in now. So follow me on TikTok uh, on the test pod. You'll also get to learn get to learn about our haunted dolls. If you go back a bit, you'll see me get locked in the basement by ghosts. <laughs> um, I actually do try to cover some podcast related things from time to time. But mostly, I just like playing around on there. This stuff didn't exist when I was appropriate aged for this, and I can use our, the guise of our so-called business that makes us negative dollars to do this. Hey, hey, we have a number of followers that is more than zero. And only, like, three of them are us. Yeah, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> I think we're amusing. Yeah, we find ourselves funny to the point where we've been like, should we just carry a microphone around and, like, record ourselves? That seems like something a Kardashian would do. Um, a Kardashian would also date Pete, date Pete Davidson, though, and I would do that, so I failed to see how this is a problem. I guess on that note... Where are you, Pete? Where are you? We love you, Pete. Class dismissed. dismissed.